The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language. You know the drill. Wednesday, the 19th of September 2018, we revisit Cronulla and Sydney's Sutherland Shire, the power base of Australia's new Prime Minister Scott Morrison, to find out what makes it tick. We're all white. <laughs> <laughs> and we like it to be that way. We're liberal. It's the last question. Oh. <laughs> Nicholas Fryer asks some important questions. On which side of the firing squad will you end up when the revolution comes? And we find out what a chicken and avocado pie, yes, that's right, a chicken and avocado pie tastes like. I'm going to need a moment to think about this. It's a look back to the past and into the future. This is the 9pm Shoddy Time Machine. It's been a while, haven't it? Haven't it? Hasn't it? Hasn't it? English is a difficult language, and not just because it has 327 prepositions, none of which mean the same as each other, but because you get those little clusters of consonants. You get consonantal constipation. That was actually an ad lib, and I thought, am I actually going to get to the end of that sentence without fucking it up? Uh, Champagne. Because we're back. Here we are, and I'd like to talk to you about mushrooms. You've probably seen the uh, the news story today that uh, Stormy Daniels, uh, that's her working name, I can't remember her uh, mundane name, as it were, for the, uh, the details, the uh, uh, sex worker who is uh, alleging that uh, Donald Trump had... Uh, Interactions with her, let's say. She's got a book out, uh, and according to The Guardian today, uh, yes, we do know that uh, Stormy Daniels attended a celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe, California in 2006. Her job there uh, with two colleagues was to greet golfers between holes, (laughs) so to speak. And that's when she first met Trump. Uh, Trump. Trump. Same thing. She says he had a red cap with the Trump crest uh, on it. That's kind of in the same spot that the Make America Great slogan comes now. Anyway, Trump's bodyguard invites her to dinner. That turns out to be in Trump's penthouse. Um, and uh, the book, excuse me, I mean, one, this does bring a frog to one's throat, Uh They uh, had a dalliance, Uh, and what we found out today, uh, according to Stormy Daniels, uh, as written in her book, Trump's penis is smaller than average, but not freakishly small. He knows he has an unusual penis, Daniels writes. It has a huge mushroom head like a toadstool. I laid there annoyed that I was getting fucked by a guy with yeti pubes and a dick like the mushroom character in Mario Kart. It may have been the least impressive sex I've ever had, but clearly he didn't uh, share that opinion. (laughs) Oh, no. No, Trump uh, would obviously think that uh, any sex he's involved with would obviously be the greatest sex in the history of the universe. And I I want you to picture that for a little while. Just imagine having sex with Donald Trump. Had enough? Good. Um... An interesting podcast if you like uh, more deep thoughts, and uh, I do, uh, is Radio Atlantic from the magazine called The Atlantic, the latest one. Uh, and they, they're usually about an hour, uh, and, and they chat with people who've uh, generally written articles for the magazine that month and, uh, uh, and with the editors and so on. The theme in The Atlantic this month is, is democracy dying? And obviously we've heard a fair amount about that recently. Haven't we just? Is it democracy dying? Is it democracy 
doing what it should do and electing in the United States, for example, the, the people that definitely all America wants, Donald Trump is is America personified. And here in Australia, we followed the Constitution and uh, now uh, Scott Morrison is Prime Minister. And I must say, one of the reasons I haven't done one of these podcasts for a bit of a while is that every time I start getting my head around what a theme might be, we've got Something else happening, a new prime minister, uh, a new scandal, uh, who knows. So I decided tonight that I was just going to assemble about an hour of material and see what the fuck happened. And, and this is where we're at. So on Radio Atlantic, uh, Anne Applebaum, who's been writing quite a bit about... Uh, Poland is is her subject of specialty, but she's been looking back at the kind of changes that, that happened in Poland uh, because I, I think I agree with her that we have waves. I mean, history isn't so much, you know, a, a flat circle. Uh, it echoes itself. It, it morphs and changes along. But we do have this idea of continual progress. We have this idea that, uh, let's say, in Australia in the 1970s and 80s, when ethnic stuff became multicultural stuff and and we had a broader view of a, a more inclusive society. And this was something that was actively promoted by the government to say, hey, we've got people from all over the place in Australia. Um, you know, let's actually notice that and be kind of like to people and perhaps curious, find out what their world is about. Uh, and now we have the exact opposite. The government is going out of its way to tell you that people that don't look like you are cunts and you should be afraid of them. Anne Applebaum wanted to talk about this in her article in The Atlantic and she didn't uh, want to look at uh, the obvious example, the, the Godwinified example uh, of Nazi Germany because everything there really went to the extremes, obviously. Uh, so she looked at Poland and looked at France and and she had a couple of quite interesting things to say, including this. You know, I was trying to avoid the obvious comparisons, you know, the Nazis, the 1930s, because those are particularly extreme examples. But if you look, for example, at the Dreyfus trial, you know, this was a moment that split France when France became incredibly polarized. People who thought they were on the same side, that they'd agreed about everything, that they had a similar idea of what France was and, and, and what their position in society was, suddenly found that they couldn't even be at the same dinner party at one another and, the, and they, they, they had terrible arguments. They never spoke to one another again. And the fight was over two different definitions of the nation. On the one hand, the nation as this, you know, kind of almost holy um, religious institution to which I am devoted and we are all devoted and can do no wrong. And these were the, the anti-Dreyfusards who believed that it was impossible that the French army could have lied and, and framed Alfred Dreyfus, who was a, a Jewish officer who was accused of treason, falsely accused of treason. And then there was the other side who had a different definition of the nation. The na no, the nation is a set of laws and rules um, that apply to everybody and treat everybody equally. And it was a kind of one idea of the nation versus a more universal idea about justice and so on. And this, of course, is exactly the echo of the political division that you have in Poland today. It's the echo of a division you have in, in other European countries. Um, and and they, these two ideas of the nation compete and the people who believe one and the people who believe the other, um, each side thinks that they should rule and they should be in charge of the country and they should decide who wins the elections and who runs, you know, also who runs the economy and who, who, should, have the, who should have the lead in education and culture and so on. Um, and our assumption that one particular group and one set of ideas had won, and this was an idea about rule of law and being part of a Western community, and essentially an idea of um, lib small l liberalism, um, you know, liberal democracy. We had assumed that had won, and actually there was another group inside Poland who were unhappy with that vision, as um, you know, as the the anti Dreyfusards had been unhappy with a particular vision of France, and they were trying to replace us, and in fact, replacing the liberals in their case meant you have to change the rules, and you have to, uh, you know, if democracy favors. Um, you know, one particular elite and another elite wants to take over, then they have to end democracy in order to get it. So in other words, I found a lot of historical echoes 
in France, in Greece, and in other places that show that there is this this constant fight to decide who's in charge, who rules, according to which rules, according to which idea of the nation, whose definition of the nation win wins. You know, this fight is not ever over. You know, and our idea in the 1990s that we had solved this problem and we'd fixed it forever was simply wrong. Applebaum's got a point there, hasn't she? We're seeing that around the world, all sorts of ideas which we took for granted at the end of the, well, the Second World War, really. We we had quite a, a bit of a biff about all these ideas. And yet, here we are. One of the other people in that podcast uh, is Alex Wagner, a journalist, and... Uh, she made this observation. We're in a time where a serious subset of the American electorate has given up on settled fact. And my question, I guess, for all of us is in the wake of Donald Trump, because in theory, he's not going to be president forever. Wait, what? In theory, he's not going to be president forever. Oh, well, that's reassuring. Is there a reset or have have has some part of society embarked on a different trajectory entirely? And and can we put the pieces back together? I don't think we can, Alex. I think we've broken it. I think we've really, really broken it, and it's going to take another generation to put it back together. And the reason I say that is because the the, the international world order that was built up after the end of the Second World War took years to get where it is. I I mean, you know, we had the Cold War through the 50s and 60s and the the second Cold War, I suppose you can call it, there was a second phase in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. You know, a lot happened. We thought when the the wall came down, the Berlin Wall came down and and perestroika happened in Russia. Does anyone, any of you old enough to remember the word perestroika? You know, all this was going to change, and yet now we've got an an authoritarian government in in Russia, uh, China expanding, um, the the white skinned English speaking Western democracies withdrawing into themselves and portraying everyone else as an enemy. It's it's really winding back the clock, and it took years to wind back that clock, so it's going to take years to put it all back together again, isn't it? And I do love Alex Wagner's line, in theory, Trump won't be president forever. I'm already on record as saying four more years, four more years. (laughs) Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. As you know, Australia does have a new Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about him because everything is moving so fast and if you're the kind of political junkie who wants to hear my views on Scott Morrison, then you've probably already got better views uh, from listening to all of the other people in the Daily News Bicycle. But what I want to do tonight is return to a podcast I recorded four years ago in May 2014 because back then Scott Morrison was Immigration Minister, Operation Sovereign Borders, the turning back of the uh, asylum seekers was at its height. Uh, Raza Barati had recently died, uh, Manus Island, Um, look his name up, and now we're starting to to finally see some of the refugees' stories themselves being told, and Scott Morrison is Prime Minister. So four years ago, I thought I'd find out about the kind of people who would elect Scott Morrison as their local Member of Parliament, and that's the electorate of Cook, which consists, broadly speaking, of the Sutherland Shire in Sydney, and the heart of it, and where Scott Morrison's office is, is Cronulla. If you look up Cronulla riots, you'll see how not all that many years ago there were race riots there that uh, Alan Jones, the 2GB talkback host, was found to have been part of inciting those riots. Uh, Now, there there were big riots uh, 
in global terms, I, I, you know, the the number of injuries was maybe sixty people injured, and I, I know there was a few tens of people arrested. It was quite small. If you were a couple hundred meters away from the action, you probably didn't even see it. But by Australian standards, that was quite significant. So I went down to explore the area. I took Silvano with me and uh, we recorded a podcast uh, and shortly I'll put up the full, uh, I'll tweet the full uh, link to that podcast or if you're listening to this later than the live stream, you'll be able to see it on the podcast webpage. And I found it quite a strange experience because on the one hand we had this this sense of here was where... um, White people and brown people basically had a a punch-up. It was worse than that, but that really is what it came down to. And yet when I was down there on this sunny day, the the 5th of May 2014, I'm thinking this is a lovely Australian beachside suburb. Um, There there are plenty of big houses and big new cars and and middle-class people going about middle-class things and cafes and shops and all of those things. It's uh, relatively quiet. It's certainly not as bustling as, as, you know, the inner suburbs of Sydney. It's a relatively low population density. You've got the beach. You've got people into surf. Um, You know, how do you reconcile the two? And I had trouble seeing um, this. That's why I did the podcast. As I say, it's, it's a, you know an hour long or something. I'm only going to play part of it tonight, and that's the the core part where I spoke to people and tried to understand it. And the first person I spoke to was uh, called Neil. Uh, these are interviews I did in the the shopping mall, not the shopping mall, the open uh, pedestrian street in the, the centre of Cronulla. This is Neil. We begin with. He's originally from Queensland, but he's lived in the Shire the Sutherland Shire in Cronulla for, for 20 years. What do you think of the place? What do you think of the area? Oh, How does it compare? Peninsula, Peninsula, yeah. It's a haven of rednecks and disaffected youth and all that sort of thing here. Is it? I mean, that's the oh, cliche. Oh, definitely. No, it is, yeah. What, 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 what do you see that tells you that? Oh, it's a surfing culture, I think. You know, the kids all get sick of school about grade eight and smoke drugs in each other's garages and just go surfing, eh? I showed Neil a photograph of Scott Morrison, the local Member of Parliament and the Minister for Immigration and Border Protection. Now, he's in charge of Operation Sovereign Borders and uh, Neil certainly recognised the face. He's a Christian, apparently. St Peter's going to have some interesting questions for him when he shows up, isn't he? I gather you're not a fan. Well, well, voting around here doesn't really matter, eh, because it's... I think they get in on about 90% the Liberals and the other 10% is the Marijuana Party, eh? Protest vote. Oh, not quite 90%, Neil. In the 2013 election, Scott Morrison and the Liberals got 60.4% of the primary vote, but that is a clear victory over Labor's 24.8%. And for the sake of accuracy, the Marijuana Party does not run a local candidate. Next up, I, I spoke to Di. Now, she grew up in Sutherland and Janali in the Shire, though she now lives in Helensburg, nestled in the Royal National Park. She loves the Shire. Fantastic. Where else would you live? <laughs> what makes it so good? I don't know. Everybody's friendly and everybody likes to be healthy. And if you go down the beach, everybody's walking with their kids regardless. You know, it's just fantastic. Well, it seems a happy area. It is. is. It? it is. She didn't know Scott Morrison's face, but uh, she certainly knew his name and what he does. Is he with the libs? Yes, he's... Uh, well, they're doing the a great job at the moment, I'd what, say. What, what's the good job they're doing? Well, they're doing it legally, I think, not letting people in. I mean, we don't know what we're getting, you know what I mean? I believe if it's a refugee and they're legitimate, God help them. But if they're not, how do we know that they're not just trying to get into... You know what I mean? Mm. Like um, if they're terrorists or something. We don't know that. There's been some pretty stories of pretty harsh conditions in some of the the detention centres and so on. Have you heard about them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do yeah. you think? Well, God, I think they're getting it good, actually. I mean, you know, like, I don't know what's going on, but, I mean, what they get, they're free computers and free everything else. I'd just lay back and relax and enjoy it. <laughs> if you're a real refugee, you would. You'd be appreciative of it. I was 
gobsmacked at this point. I mean, this was after asylum seeker Reza Barati had died an ugly death on Manus Island. His face had been all over the media after all manner of horror stories had followed. And yet, here was someone thinking that these concentration camps, because that's what they are, was some sort of lovely holiday. I was having a real cognitive dissonance moment. A bright, sunny, happy day in a beachside suburb and a platinum blonde woman was cheerfully consigning people to this hellhole. Now, I suspect she doesn't really know what's going on, but then she didn't seem terribly motivated to find out either. I thought about that for a moment and then ran into a young guy, uh, Mitch, who'd done the reverse journey to die. I used to live in Helensburg, which is a very quiet sort of country town. This is this is very different to that. It's just being closer to everything. It's just, you know, to go to the city from Helensburg is an hour drive. Like, it's a big, big effort to do the same thing from here. It's 20 minutes. I mean, people sometimes say the Shire in particular can be a bit, you know, insular, peninsular and all that. It is, yeah, definitely. What, but what once you're on the inside of it, it's all right. It's pretty self-sufficient. There's, you know, anything that you want to do anywhere else, it can pretty much be done here. You want to go to the movies, you want to go to the beach, you want to go shopping. Like, it can all be done within the Shire. There's not any really any necessity to leave. Now, Mitch didn't know Morrison's face either, but at least he'd heard of his work, kind of. I don't really know enough to have a strong opinion on it. I know he's pretty strict from what I, you know, from what I've read, it's pretty conscientious, the whole... Conscientious? That's an interesting word. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mitch was embarrassed I'd asked about the word he used, so I'd let him head off. Uh, Then I ran into Ben, another local, young, tan, toned. But when it came to talking about his patch, not so articulate. Uh, Just relaxed, I'd assume. Just nice. Close to the beach, a lot of areas to swim. Just a nice place, that's all I reckon. Do you know who that bloke is? Is that the local member? Yeah. Yeah. Scott Morrison. What do you know of him? Well, I know he's just a local member and... He got elevated up, didn't he? Minister like, for Immigration and Border yeah, Protection. Like now. Yeah. yeah, so he's in charge of Operation Sovereign Borders and that whole deal. Have you heard much about that? Or? No. Well, no, it's just something in the political sort of thing. Nothing much else. Now, to be honest, I'm not surprised by Ben's political apathy. As I said earlier, most people don't know a thing about politics. So I was starting to think that maybe Cronulla and the Shire wasn't really some hot bit of racism. Maybe it was just apathy and ignorance, that everyone was happy and contented in their peaceful little enclave, and they were, you know, quite happy for politicians to do whatever the hell they liked as long as their happiness wasn't disturbed. Well... It was lunchtime, so I went to the pub to get some food and there I heard a group of guys who were a few beers down watching a fight on TV, you know, one of those modern cage fight things, blood all over the floor, but the fight's continuing. And at the centre of the conversation was Dave, and he certainly had opinions about politicians. Well, they're all grubs, aren't they, Banks? (laughs) Dave was... Happy to talk to me, and he was more than happy to put things bluntly. Yeah, I don't know why I'm particularly talking to you, but they all backed off to this table. Yeah, they got a bit frigid, didn't they? Well, they backed off because I'm, um, you know, just... I'm, you know, they've, got to, they've got to be in front of the leader, see, when I talk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, OK. So, Shire, what, what is it? I mean, Cronulla... Come on, Banksy, get back here. Cronulla in particular, Shire in general, what is it that makes it what it is? We're all white. <laughs> and we like it to be that way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the stereotype, isn't it? But is that Oh, it? Is that come it? on. We're liberal. It's the last aspect. Oh. It used to be like a little country town. We all grew up here. Yeah. We all grew up here. It's like a little country town there that turned like the Gold Coast. Well, it's just I, too crowded now. It's, really it's hard to move around here around the weekend. You can't drive anywhere. There's just traffic everywhere. And there's no infrastructure. There's one one lane in, one lane out. We're out of the back there. But no, someone up the street told me that it doesn't matter. You don't need to go in or out. You've got everything you need right here. Yeah, that's right. But if you're coming from somewhere you've been, 
takes you about 20 minutes to drive across the suburbs. Doesn't that, doesn't that feed into that? I mean, I, I hate the term when people say insular peninsula because that's an outsider's comment trying to pay the place out. But that feeds into that myth, doesn't it? Not like living here. Like, if I want to work out in the suburbs, yeah. sweating in the factory all day, they come out here, it's a nice beachside suburb to live in. Why would I want to live in a fibro box on the other side of Sydney? Stuff though. I well, used to, I don't, that's why I live here. A lot of people don't move from Cronulla because it's such a good place. If they move from Cronulla, they either go to Cool and Ghetto, another white place. <laughs> There's a lot of ABAs, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's Tweety as well. Has it changed much over the years? It's becoming more yuppie-ish. It really is, you know. And that's part of the time. You know, you have the times you've got all your cafes, and all, but a lot of the it's it's becoming more eastern suburbsy. You know, all the all your little fluffy duffels. It's cafe city and all that. There's only three shops that sell proper fucking fish and chips and hamburgers. You know, years ago, you had mamas and. All that sort of stuff, but now every shop's a cafe. More you know? working class yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because they can't afford them. There's no for the people that are growing up here that are around about the 18, 19 year old age. They won't be able to afford to live here. Suddenly, my mic cover attracts attention. Bit sus about that fluffy thing, though, mate. Come on. Mate. I, I know, I know. Well, like, if I can... I can get rid of the fluffy thing, but then it looks like I've got a taser. Well, looks, looks, well that looks a bit, you know, more, better than that thing. <laughs> you look tougher now. Yeah. If that's, if that's possible. No. No. <laughs> yeah, it's the beer talking now, jumping between bravado and nostalgia. You get older and um, things move on. Cronulla, to me, Cronulla's... Not as good as what it was 20 years, but what 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 place was? It's all about your memories, you know. You, you don't want things to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cronulla, you had flashes and 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 Joe's Jokers, milk bar and, and the squash court. <laughs> and then after a few polite inquiries about my own life and my own background, Dave declares that the audience is over. I speak on behalf. You're all cool. You're doing a good job. Yeah, fuck, fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. So, yeah, that was Cronulla four years ago. A couple of weeks ago, I I went down to Cronulla again, and I'd had planned to uh, do a podcast like this live from Cronulla itself, and I had a a hotel room overlooking uh, the beach and so on. I, unfortunately, I wasn't quite as recovered from the lurgy as I thought I was, so what I really needed to do was just curl up and sleep for, for the night. But walking through the street again, it felt so cut off from the world. But there were there were people going around and doing their shop. All right, it was you know middle of the week and it wasn't all that fabulous a day. But it did seem its own little world, and it is very, very white. Uh, I remember the morning afterwards when I was walking from the hotel back to the railway station, which is 300 metres or something like that, and I walked through the shopping mall, and I think I saw maybe four people of colour in total, and two of them were, you know, working in shops. An awful lot of blonde women, people of every age where surfing clothing brands because it's next to the beach it is the surf culture it is the image of sydney one day australia will figure out that the vast majority of the country is not next to a beach even in sydney it's not next to a beach and th- and this was the that was the cause of the cronulla riots wasn't it that a bunch of uh, chaps of middle eastern appearance and their 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 lady friends just wanted to come to the beach and and the Cronulla boys kind of thought they owned the beach and they didn't want these not-white people coming to enjoy their beach. <sighs> Tribalism. It's a wonderful thing. Time does fly. That was four years ago. I don't think that much has changed. Also, it's it's... Quite a long time since I did the last podcast in this style. It was actually December last year and what it's now, September, so nine months ago. 
Um, I have done other podcasts. We did a, a public house forum in Adelaide and one kind of private house forum in Tasmania, and I did a couple of 9pm probe episodes. Um, but, yeah, let's go back into the past a little bit, uh, back to May, because I happened to tweet that I'd found a thing up in King's Cross and Potts Point in Sydney, a little bakery uh, called a chicken and avocado pie. Yes, a chicken and avocado pie. And then Carl Oscar and a couple other people said, oh, you have to try it. Oh, fuck, I hate avocado. It's the evil slime fruit. But no, you've got to try it. I said, no. And then Carl Oscar and I think someone else gave me money. They put money on my tip page. That's at stillgarian.com slash tip. And said, you have to go and eat the pie. So I went to check it out. And here's how that went down. Okay, so here's the problem. It's cold, it's wet. I'm in King's Cross, actually Potts Point in Sydney, and I'm sitting outside a Vietnamese pie shop and patisserie called uh, Croissant Door, the Golden Croissant. And I'm here because I tweeted. I tweeted the other day that uh, one of the things on the Croissant Door's menu is uh, a chicken and avocado pie. Now, even if you like avocados, which uh, you shouldn't, but even if you do, that strikes me as as a bit odd because as someone said on the, on Twitter earlier today as I record this, uh, warmed avocado is shit. And in my view, that's correct. In my view also that cold avocado is therefore uh, cold shit. Now, Gary Stark disagrees. He says that uh, avocado is okay, warm avocado is okay when you add a couple of chilies, chopped onion, chopped tomato, garlic and some lime juice, crushed roughly in a mortar and pestle and served with corn chips and margaritas. Now, be that as it may, in my view, that is an incredibly complicated way to fuck up an afternoon with margaritas. Gary says, uh, not if you get the manservants to make your guacamole. Well, no, quite frankly, what you should do, you should get your slime fruit, add a couple of chilies, chopped onion, chopped tomato, garlic and some lime juice, crush thoroughly in a mortar and pestle, pour it over your damn corn chips, and then throw out all that shit and and pour yourself about four fingers of bourbon, because that will be a vast improvement on all of those things. I was somewhat sceptical of the concept of uh, chicken... An avocado in a pie. I still think it sounds disgusting. But Carl Oscar and possibly others have contributed uh, to this experiment. So here I am, as I say, in the cold and wet of a uh, King's Cross or Potts Point uh, winter's day, and I'm about to uh, walk into a pie shop. Wish me luck. Well, thank you. I've been ordered to try your chicken and avocado pie. But, um, uh, I Excellent. It's a bet. I have to try one, but I really don't like avocado, so that's the test. Someone said I have to try it. I will be back another day to try it. A cold, wet day in winter, and all the pies are gone. Who would have guessed? But, true to my word, I went back the very next day. Hi there. How are you? Very well, thank you. And you? Yes, although I go to take a photograph of it when I try it, but yes, I will have a chicken and avocado pie, please. Yep. How much is that? 730. Whoa, okay. 730. You sell a lot of these? You sell a lot of chicken and avocado pies? Yeah, sometimes we have a Sunday, you know. Okay. Next time, I'll tell you how to slide. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm still not fucking sure about this. Okay, we've got a uh, standard white paper bag, but the pie itself is nestled into a cardboard tray, and oh, 
for fuck's sake. It is a pie body, which looks like a standard chickeny sort of pie. Uh, and then there's an entire half an avocado piled on top of it. And then it is covered in bacon and cheese. I'm going to need a moment to think about this. Now, I have to admit, I've kind of just been sitting here looking at this fucking monstrosity for a couple of minutes now. Okay, I'm picking it up. The, the pie base, crust itself, is actually really quite a nice um, smooth pie casing. You sometimes get pie casings that are just a bit too crumbly. This is, is kind of smooth and done, and I'm peeling it open a bit. And I can see that what's inside appears to be almost a standard chicken and mushroom pie. There's, there's cubes of chicken, which look quite good, and a, and a creamy mushroom sauce. But then, as I say, plonk down on top of it, oh dear, is, is the half an avocado. And when I lift that up to examine it, the, the avocado has, of course, been... Um, seeded so the, the the kernel has been taken out but then it's been pushed down onto the pie there's no pastry on the top of the pie the avocado forms the top of the pie so what i could do here is it's like just peel off and discard the avocado which is what any sensible person should do but then you know you're saving yourself however much the the, the avocado costs and just eat the chicken and mushroom pie with sort of and, and the bacon and cheese I'm going to take a bite. I'm putting it back together again. You'll see photographs of this on the website. So I'm going to take a bite in the side of the pie. So I'm going to get a mouthful of pastry, chicken and sauce, and avocado, which, as I don't need to remind you, I really can't stand. Okay, here we go. Oh, my... Oh, so, basically the first taste you get is of the chicken, and it's kind of mushy. The chicken and cream's okay, and the top part of your mouth gets like the crunchiness of the bacon. But then, as you squeeze it down into it, this sort of green slime just gets all over your tongue. It's this disgusting, greasy, you know, what fucking alien orifice does this fruit get extruded from? Ah, uh, uh, the, the chicken bit's not too bad. Um, but why would you do this? Why the fuck would you... I'm keeping going. I'm keeping going on this. Do pay for it, you get it. It's actually a really good chicken pie, which I had one the other day. They charge six fifty for that. So they charge another 90 cents to fuck it up with an avocado. Oh, why would you do that? And what sort of shitty avocado that's like 90 cents for a half? What kind of crap avocado can you get for $1.80? That's what I want to know. This is the most bullshit pie I've ever had because if you if you wanted to do something healthy, right, with avocado, what you don't do is wrap it in bacon and cheese and shove it in a pie. No, I can't. I can't eat that. I'm peeling off the bacon. Oh no, avocado skin stuck to oh, oh no. Back to the studio. Oh fuck this. Quick correction, I said in that last bit that the chicken and avocado pie was six fifty. It wasn't. It was seven dollars thirty. At like a local pie shop. Seven dollars thirty for a fucking pie. I've just put some photos of it on Twitter, and if you're listening not live but later, there will be photographs on the webpage. It is 
fucking disgusting. Back to the Shire for a minute. I just wanted to mention that original podcast from, yes, four years ago, Silvano, was was part of me wanting to get out of being a person sitting in my place and commenting about people without actually going out to visit them. This has been one of my kind of hot-button issues for a while, that most journalists sit in quite a limited um, demographic and geographical environment, should we say. And I was shocked to hear on a fantastic podcast, a podcast called Slow Burn, which was uh, at first about Nixon and Watergate and going through methodically saying, hey, this all didn't happen overnight. It took some years for the, the information about Nixon and the campaign and the the controversy to build. It was a slow burn. And their second series uh, is currently underway. And it's about uh, Bill Clinton and uh, Monica Lewinsky and other things, because we're we're looking at another American president who was uh, facing an impeachment process there. But something I found fascinating in that podcast, they they talked to someone and a journalist about the process of getting out of Washington and more broadly getting out of New York and LA and San Francisco and those big towns and I suppose out of Chicago. Do we ever ever hear any news from Chicago outside the United States? Do Americans hear that? And then you go further down to what? Milwaukee, um, Albuquerque in New Mexico to Louisiana to any none of that stuff ever turns up in American news and certainly not in international news unless it's a what either a um, a major disaster like floods or hurricanes or whatever or something really really weird uh, and I guess an example of that is uh, the news today. Uh, that huge bundles of marijuana are washing up on the beach in Florida because Hurricane Florence came through and I assume during that any shipments of marijuana that were trying to be smuggled in in small boats or whatever got completely trashed. So now uh, these these big <laughs> bales of marijuana are washing up on the beach and, of course, there are folks who might be interested in that, uh, heading down to the beach and getting into fights over who has the right to take it away. Um, that sort of news gets to us, but not the other stuff. And in this episode of Slow Burn, one of the journalists described this idea of doing uh, quick, sudden visits to places not in a big city which is actually a big chunk of America. America is far less urbanised than Australia. They called them a Cletus safari. Oh, yeah, we'll go talk to Cletus about what he thinks about the politics. How fucking patronising. And they were joking about it on the podcast and, and kind of said, yeah, we don't really have a view of that. And I think, so what's fucking stopping you? What's stopping you from talking? Like, why don't we hear from journalists in those parts of the world? Why do we only hear uh, about what's happening in that vast central part of America, the the flyover countries, the cow states, all of these patronising names for them? There are journalists there. There are people there. Why don't we hear directly from them? Why do we have to, you know, catapult a a big city journalist in there to suddenly understand what Cletus thinks. And it's like my trip down to, to, to Cronulla. They don't know who I am. I'm a, I'm a stranger in their pub. And of course they're going to stir. Of course they're going to act up a bit. They're going to give me some bullshit story. I suppose that's a, a big, big kind of argument for why you shouldn't listen to that podcast or me or anything, really. And I I think there's a point in that. Let's go on a Cletus Safari. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. 
Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, this podcast is made possible through your listener contributions and to a letter, lesser extent these days, although I must sort this out, your subscriptions. So it's been a while since the last time I've run through the list of, of new contributors. So let me just say an enormous, big, fat, cuddly thank you to David King, Jono, Carl Sinclair, Carloska, Katrina Zetti. Is that how you say it? I'm really going to get your name right. Katrina, Kimberly Heitman, Peter Leverding, Richard Siggs, Ruben Sharda, Simon Harris, who's contributed at least seven times since the last uh, news magazine podcast, Silvano, plus another person who wishes to remain anonymous. Now, normally at this point, I would tell you to go to stillgerian.com slash tip and throw some money into the tip jar and you can you can you can do that but right now i would really like you to contribute to my new possible campaign the 9 pm flying visits so if you want to read about it while i'm talking to you about it go to stillgerian.com/flying stillgerian.com/flying because what's happening um Fairly suddenly, some travel has appeared upon my schedule. At the end of this month, the very end of this month, I'll be going to Adelaide, then across to Washington, D.C. in the America in the first week of October, and in the second week of October, I will be going to Melbourne to cover uh, what is now called the Australian Cyber Conference because of course it is. It's the National Conference of the Australian Information Security Association. Now, look, my airfares to the United States are covered uh, by FireEye, thank you very much, uh, and my some of my accommodation there. But I'm staying for a couple of nights in Adelaide, a couple of extra nights in Washington, and a bunch of extra nights in Melbourne, which I have already paid for, so I'm, I'm, I'm having a bit of a punt here. I'm hoping that you will now help, uh, and I want to record some podcasts there, but if you want to help me uh, defray the costs of that, it's the 9pm flying visits, stilgerian.com slash flying. I've just tweeted the link. It's on the website. Please consider there's rewards. You get to contribute and stuff like that. The whole plan hasn't really come together uh, because it's two weeks away, right? And I used to work in daily radio. This is miles away, miles away. So over the next week or so, I will flesh it out a little. And uh, the possible campaign closes next Thursday, the 27th of September at 9pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. So you've got eight Days, eight days from now. Please contribute. I, I want to get it. Look, go and read the thing. Stilgerian.com slash flying. Next up, though, we have Nicholas Fryer, the beloved Nicholas Fryer, with a look through the arch window. And I must confess, because of the gap, this is something he recorded a while back. So he sent me a note saying, a sympathetic host which is me, obviously, I, I am enormously sympathetic, uh, might mention that the reference to the former Deputy Prime Minister will require the listeners to cast their minds back across a near infinitude of time to the former Deputy Prime Minister but one. I think he's confused, but they'll probably work it out anyway, he says. Here's Nicholas. I imagine that the number of political science PhDs that have been granted to students analysing the declining relevance of the left-right political dichotomy must now be into quadruple figures, so I figure it's open season for amateurs like me. We all hate experts now anyway, or so I'm told by people who turn up on television who are apparently experts on whether or not people listen to experts. Many continua have been proposed upon which to place the atoms of democracy that are each one of us, progressive against conservative, nationalist, cosmopolitan, liberal, authoritarian, and so on. 
Here at the Fryer Institute for Statistical Verisimilitude, we have developed what we think is the final evolution of all such thinking, which places persons of all political persuasions on a spectrum that runs from agrees with me in every particular, passes through reality-challenged snotivore, and ends up at evil moron. Where do you stand on the key issues of the day? On which side of the firing squad will you end up when the revolution comes? Take the following handy test to find out. Question 1. Renewable energy A. Offers opportunity to develop an industry of the future in which Australia can be a world leader. B. Has a place alongside fossil fuels in our energy mix for the foreseeable future. C. Will never be reliable enough to provide baseload power for a modern economy. D. Gave my cat AIDS. Question 2. Bob Catter. A. Yes. B. No. C. Hell no. D. Question 3. A new family moves in next door. Ahmed, the father of the kids, meets you in the street and says he likes your shirt. Mohammed, the other father of the kids, invites you to dinner. Do you A. Accept enthusiastically and explain to Mohammed about the little alleyway boutique where you buy all your paisley? B. Feel a little nervous, being unfamiliar with Iraqi dining customs. C. Go home and Google gay ISIS terrorists and end up more confused than ever. D. Give their cat AIDS. Question 4. Which of the following poses the greatest existential threat to Australia? A. Geopolitical instability brought about by shifting climate patterns and resource uncertainty. B. Foreign interference in our political processes and parliamentary representatives. C. Beardy weirdies blowing up people because they hate freedom. D. Poofters. Question 5. Automatic weaponry in civilian hands A. Is insane. Uh, I mean, Jesus Christ. B. Is permissible if subject to strict regulation. C. Is a right of citizens in a free society. Or D. Is my sexual preference. Question 6. A man who looks like a condom full of liverwurst says that people are too scared to eat because of African gangs. Do you A. Tell your wife for the 4,000th time that you told her this would happen when Fraser started letting in the boat people? B. Look around nervously in case an African gang is even now planning to nick the wine list out of your hands and ask Enzo to bring a bottle of Akunawara Shiraz from the late aughts. C. Join an African gang. Or D. Move to Botswana. Question 7. Two weeks later, the same tube of meat paste says that he wants to fast-track the immigration of a gang of Africans, but it's different this time. It's different because A. They share our values. They speak our language. Sort of. Well, they don't sound any stupider than New Zealanders. B. They share our values. They're farmers, just like all Australians. C. They share our values. Shit, they even have barbecues. D. They share our values. They don't like black people either. Question 8. The former Deputy Prime Minister. A. Oh, blimey. B. Oh, bugger. C. Oh, barnyard. D. Oh, baby. There you go. Once you've written down your answers, you can score yourself in the following manner. Take a sharp kitchen knife and make a series of deep cuts along the inside of both wrists. Trust me, everything will soon seem so much less annoying.
Yes, I see where Nicholas may have gone a bit wrong because there's a difference between Deputy Prime Minister, who is the leader of the National Party, and the Deputy Leader of the Liberal Party, who is not Deputy Prime Minister, because the former went from uh, Barnaby Joyce to somebody, no one can remember his name. It's not important. He's, he's a cipher. Uh, and the latter went from uh, Julie Bishop uh, to Josh Frydenberg. But Julie Bishop is sitting there waiting to make her move. It's lovely. The next episode of this podcast will not actually be uh, the kind of Washington and Melbourne things. I'm doing something a bit special, and it's nothing to do with the uh, the possible campaign. This is something I'm I'm doing off my own bat for for technical reasons. And on either Friday the twenty eighth of September, which is Friday week, or the next day, uh, Mr. Mark Newton. Uh, is flying me to Adelaide in his little two-seater light aircraft, an RV6 registration VHSOL, that's Victor Hotel Sierra Oscar Lima, uh, and we'll be uh, going from Sydney's Bankstown Airport uh, to Wagga Wagga to refuel there and get pies, because apparently the pies are very good, and then to Swan Hill and then to Goolwa. Uh, because his family lives in the southern part of Adelaide, and that's easier than flying into Parafield, which is Adelaide's official general aviation um, airport in the northern suburbs. So I have obtained a device, an apparatus, in fact, which will allow me to record along the way. So uh, uh, I'll be able to have my uh, Zoom H6 uh, recorder patched into the aircraft's comm system so uh, Mark and I can chat uh, and things like the radio and air traffic control and stuff should be recorded as well. I'd, I'd add, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with that, um, but I'll put together a podcast um, uh, connected with all that in some way. So I've got a couple of things on the boil. Uh, there's that podcast and then there's the separate one, which I uh, the separate podcast, which I uh, trust. Again, you'll help support it. Stilgarian.com slash flying. It's all very, very confusing, isn't it? <coughs> Elephant stamp time. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. Each episode of this podcast and or when I remember to do it, uh, I issue elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And I've got two today, and they relate to a couple of things that happened on Twitter. Um, there should be more about strange things that men of Florida did, but I didn't have time to dig them out. The first one is that when I was uh, preparing uh, this podcast today, I found a note that just said, cunt or wanker, question mark. I thought, what the fuck does that refer to? And I, and I think I did a poll about that, asking whether someone was a cunt or a wanker, and I couldn't find it. So moving on from that, I did discover that back in May, uh, and this is before certain things uh, happened in the news about this gentleman, Elon Musk is a cunt, yes or no? And back in May, the results were 65% yes, 35% no. So definitely, Elon Musk is a cunt uh, elephant stamp for you. And the second one is that uh, someone on Twitter, you may have heard of Twitter, uh, tweeted this the other day, and I'll put all the appropriate credits in on the webpage, someone... uh, Near near a park, in a park, near a, a pond in Bellevue, Washington, put up a sign that just said the rules. And uh, I think these are very good rules. And uh, John Birmingham suggests uh, that these, in fact, should be in Australia's constitution. So here we are, the rules. No incomprehensible blabbering. No traipsing about. No loud drum circles. No consorting with fraternisers. No big bonfires. No clove cigarettes. 
No egregious instances of poor judgment. No heated arguments about paella. No reckless yoga poses. No shoddy strategizing. No prolonged nudity. No unsolicited massaging. No feigned astonishment. No unwanted offerings of spiritual guidance. No telling of unverifiable stories. No fracking without permit. No unnecessary shade throwing. No ostentatious hats. No inauthentic Mexican food. No excessive profanity. Do not overfeed the raptors. Clean up after your horse. And report suspected charlatans. Thank you. Well, that's all the edict for this time. The next one will be, as I said, a little bit down the track. We'll work out the details as we go. But until then, I'm still Garion. Have a good one. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.